Hi, this is Dave Vanderveen. This is the Kick Aspirational Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 24, and um, I thought it'd be kind of fun. I'm in Paris today. I thought it might be interesting if we did this broadcast, uh, or did this recording, from the uh, patio on, uh, at my hotel room here in, uh, here in Vendome. Uh, I'm uh, actually right at the Grand Palais, if you know where that is, so it's kind of a, the Royal Palace, I think. Anyways, cool little spot. I'll, uh, I'll tag the location in my uh, social media posts. But uh, you may hear a little background noise. I just thought it might give it the, uh, the background noise, the, the, um, you know, the ambulances, the police cars, or the bikes, or the French chatter might give it a little richness. Yeah, so I hope you enjoy that little test today. Uh, but this is Season 2, Episode 24. It's all about experience, existence, and connectivity. And um, what I wanted to do is, uh, in this one, you know, we talk in, in this podcast and Kick Aspirational about breaking through barriers in life um, and, and about helping people do more than they thought they could. And I thought with this one, um, I'd, I'd connect it back to an episode we did in episode 15 and some experiences I'd had in Japan then. Um, you know, last weekend in Japan was an incredible series of events. We had five dinners in three days in Osaka at the Landsat Awards, uh, where I was a speaker. And then afterwards in Tokyo, I was able to visit a really amazing artist exhibit uh, that Shiota Chiharu did called The Soul Trembles. It's at the Mori Art Museum, which is a fantastic uh, art museum in, in Rapungi in Tokyo. Um, and that, that might actually help explain the connection we make to each other through concrete events, experiences, and items that give expression to our deepest selves, what she calls, and I think is a good term for it, our souls. Um, earlier this year in episode 15, I talked about ending up in Tokyo after a series of stops around the globe that left me a, kind of a bit lost. I was exhausted and sort of feeling like, like I was falling off the earth. And it was all kind of about how I was able to, to dive into that sadness and aloneness to do a walking meditation with it, to thank it for being with me and to recognize also that it's not what defines me, even if it's connected to me at times. Um, I've also noticed that when I'm not absorbed with a creative project, a brand, business project, a film project, book, article, this podcast, or some other outlet, I tend to read a lot more, and I feel an intense need to absorb content and ideas to stir up what comes next, to kind of put in a lot of content to see what content is going to come out, how how my you know brain and body will assimilate those ideas and and kick out something that's hopefully valuable to other people. Um, much of what Chiharu-san's work expressed is through uh, effectively a massive complex web of red and black strings that link people and things and ourselves and the universe. So she has you know, these displays that are a lot of red and black spring intricately connecting um, objects and people and, and, and items. Um, What she says is the black expresses the vast expanse of this deep universe, while the red expresses the red threads that connect one person to to each other, as well as the color of blood. These threads become entangled. Occasionally, they bristle and tighten up, as if to connect the mental universe that exists within me to the cosmos outside. This is a relationship that will never falter. 
she describes being lost in ways that sound familiar to me too. She, uh, she had some concepts of lostness that I thought were really helpful. She said, whenever I think an exhibition is over, just as if a storm had passed, I start to stumble aimlessly from one day to the next, like a kite whose thread has snapped. I just repeat the motions of life that is neither happy nor miserable, reaching for various books from the shelf and reading them, opening up a newspaper when I get sick of them, lying down and reading some other magazine or book. Hoping to clear my mind, I run a bath, soaking myself for several hours while gazing out at the clouds drifting by outside the window. Soon I can no longer really tell if I'm alive or dead. Even then, once four o'clock rolls around, I start to get impatient to do something productive, and so I leave the house, even though I have nowhere to go. Of course, it's not as if I've arranged to meet anyone either. I always end up at a nearby bookstore or art bookstore where they have lots of picture books or an antique shop filled with junk. By looking at these things, I make an effort to rid myself of this feeling of emptiness that I just cannot describe. Once this life continues for a month or so, however, it becomes obvious how I am not just empty, but constantly consuming things, and I become no longer able to endure it. After that, however, some sort of strong emotion or an indignation or desire that I cannot abide starts to gush up within me, and I can at last begin to think about making work again. Suddenly, from this sort of lifestyle, I am overcome by the impulse to smash or break myself into pieces. And that's where her art comes from. Um, she talks a little bit about death, too, and I, I won't go through her whole thing here, but I think um, she talks about how a house burned down next door to where she was living when she was nine, and there was a piano that was pulled out, and how um, it was scorched until it was jet black. It seemed even more beautiful and maybe even more of a symbol of, of what it was before. Um, and she said, there are things that seek deep into the recesses of my mind and others that fail to take either a physical or verbal form, no matter how hard you try, but they exist as souls without a tangible form. The more you think about them, the more their sounds disappear from my mind and the more tangible their existence. This is where I'm going to wrap up, uh, Chiharu-san's, uh, concepts. She had this amazing display of suitcases that were kind of off the floor, rising up, and just connected by a string to the ceiling. There's images of it that I posted on my Facebook page and on my, uh, on my Instagram page. But um, this is what she says about travel, and I think this is where it all kind of came together for me as I was kind of stumbling through her exhibit, trying to make sense of all these strings and objects and the connectivity and, and, and what it all meant. Um, she said, people leave their hometowns with a destination in mind. Living among people of different nationalities, you suddenly forget that you're Japanese. She's obviously Japanese. Looking at yourself reflected in a mirror, you realize for that for the first time, you have black hair and black eyes. The further you drift and the more you mix, the more you arrive at a place that allows you to stare hard at yourself anew. I think you know, it's this whole idea of losing yourself to find yourself, right? Um, she says, when I look at a heaping pile of suitcases, all I see is the corresponding number of human lives. Why did these people leave the place they were born in search of some destination? Why did they go on this voyage? I think back to the feelings of these people on the morning of their departure. With all of the travel and the people that I'm so fortunate to work with around the world, um, you know, this really, I'm, I'm speaking here, when, you know, with, with all the traveling people that I get to, I get to meet, that I get to work with, 
around the world in such close relationships. The work of Shiota Chiaru was kind of a perfect closure to a busy week in Osaka that really helped put shape to some of the ways that I've come to think about my own life, my connection to the communities of people I work with, and, and how that all kind of comes together, how, how I'm connected. Um, my trip this time started in Indonesia. It's a market where we don't yet sell the excess brand that I started. Um, and uh, it's a country, it's a pretty big country. It's over 260 million inhabitants. I mean, if you think about it, the U.S. is about 325 million people, um, where half the population of Indonesia is under 30 years old, and that's been growing since 2015. So it's, it, it's, it's, it's becoming... Um, a bigger population of people under 30. Uh, a majority of the population has become urban. So since, I'm sorry, so yeah, I'm, I'm confusing some of these things. So a majority of the population is under 30. And since 2015, the population has become more urban. So the, the majority of the people have been shifting out of the countryside and into cities. And they have a very fast-growing uh, economy right now. They're one, one of the hotter emerging markets. And um, so I was invited to Indonesia to meet with, uh, you know, the, the, the leading young at heart business owners that we partner with there, um, meaning that they behave like a new generation. Um, when I say young at heart, you know, we talk about our business owners who are young and it's really behavioral. It's, it's more about a behavior than an age. So I was, I was there to meet with our young acting, our young behaving business owners who, you know, really kind of help lead the market there. And... Um, and I guess the, the interesting thing is, you know, they were saying to us, so these are Amway business owners who were saying to me, they want the excess brand in the market. And, and we came together at this place to think holistically then about how we grow the entire nutrition category, how we grow the entire enterprise, the entire business, and if excess as a brand could help them do that. Um, you know, it's it's a very different approach in Indonesia than other markets we've launched before. And typically, we simply just launch two flavors of our energy drinks. I mean, we've got dozens of flavors that we've developed over the years, so we look for popular ones for that market. And um, then we teach the business owners how to use and share them in, a, in, you know, creating compelling experiences, whether you're sharing a cold drink or creating three-on-three basketball tournaments or club parties, whatever it is you're into. Um, we would typically teach them how to create compelling experiences and then, you know, in person and via social, share those, those experiences, attract people and grow their business. You know, game, set, match. That's how we do it. Uh, so I was there, but, you know, this time we had to approach it really differently. The challenge in an emerging market like Indonesia is that the average wage is you know under $300 per month or let's say $10 a day per per family and so you know if you think about it the family has to has to get by everything they need to do has to happen on 10 bucks a day so the idea of spending $2 a can on one of our drinks or you know $4 a day on maybe some of our drinks or some of our bars and protein bars yeah, that's a that's a that's a tough nut to sell in a place like Indonesia. It's it's too expensive, um, and so we had to think differently about you know sports nutrition and does it make sense in the Indonesian Indonesian marketplace? And and I was just really asking you know what makes sense here and does this make sense and and can we help you? Um, so our goal is you know basically 
as a business is to help people feed themselves, to lift themselves financially um, up, to, to, to grow financially and to control how they, how they get paid, how they, how they earn their living. We believe that, you know, if, if you think about the hierarchy of freedoms, financial freedom is kind of the lowest one. It's if you can con- control, if, if you can feed yourself, if you can control yourself, if you can get off the plantation effectively, then you can start worrying about and, and have the ability to even think about the higher freedom, social freedom, political freedom, religious freedom. Um, you know, I, I talked um, I talked before about being in Medellin last February and meeting a young man who had worked out of he'd gotten himself out of grinding poverty, joining our business. And uh, what was compelling about that was his goal wasn't to buy a fancy new car. His goal wasn't to buy jewelry or you know fancy clothes or stuff. His goal was to get his mom out of grinding poverty. Um, he went what we call Ruby in the business, kind of a. a a good moderate first level of you know early level of achievement and uh, he brought his mom up on stage and said you know you don't have to work anymore I'm taking care of you now you're free I'm free and you're free and we're doing this together and I thought it was one of the most powerful things I've ever seen we see some incredible stories in our business but that's the general idea we want to help people create real freedom real independence and create the life that they want to have um, so in Indonesia, the strings that started to form, if you think back to Chiharasan, the strings that started to form were all about how we could think differently about sports nutrition in ways that serve a population obsessed with Instagram. Um, the young people, you know, majority of the population is under 30. That population spending four to five hours a week on Instagram. Um, and so, you know, people who spend a lot of time on Instagram start getting obsessed with selfies and getting in shape, looking better. And, and that comes down to fitness and nutrition. You can affect about 20% of how your body looks through fitness and the other 80% comes from what you put in your mouth. And that's why, you know, there's a lot of sports nutrition brands and nutrition brands in general that are being built off of Instagram right now, off of fitness celebrities, workout routines, and the things you're using for fuel so that you can look your best and be in the best shape. And uh, so, you know, it was, uh, it was a really interesting conversation. And, and one of the things the team did is after we had this, these days of meetings, we had two days, two full days of meetings, going through a lot of ideas, workshopping, talking about these things, they took me out to one of the stadiums in Jakarta. So Jakarta's, you know, the, the, the current capital of Indonesia. It's going to be moved in the, in the next uh, few years. But right now, that's, that's the capital. It's the biggest city in Indonesia. And um, I think over 10 million people live there. And they have, the government has become obsessed with getting people into fitness. And so they've created four stadiums that they've made available to the public in the evenings when it's cool enough to work out. Um, and they, you know the streets are so busy with scooters and, and traffic that you can't really do running or bicycling on the streets safely. So they created these, these four stadiums where people can go and they, can, they have amazing basketball courts, beautiful basketball courts with glass backboards that are outdoors. They've got uh, people are running and biking around the stadium at night and they have, uh, they have yoga studios, they have workout uh, routines going on, all kinds of stuff. It's really kind of amazing and it's just packed with people who are really getting into fitness in this market. Well, that is a hot trend in an emerging market, which is what we look for when we're thinking about sports nutrition and um, places and people that we could partner with. So it was really exciting to see all that. Um, but uh, I, I guess my, my point being that the first set of connected strings in, in my experiences, events, and activities on this trip were all about a fresh, new, totally um, unconventional way of thinking about sports nutrition for emerging markets. And then I hopped from there 
to Japan, um, which is one of the most mature markets we work in. So one of the youngest markets we work in is Indonesia. One of the oldest markets by, by population demographic we work in, in is in Japan. It's the oldest demographic per country on earth. Um, there's 126 million people in Japan. Uh, there's um, about half that population is over 48 years old. So it's currently the world's oldest country. Um, and just to put it, uh, and the average income is just under $38,000. So totally different, you know, income and, and spending uh, abilities. One of the wealthier countries that we work with per capita. And, and by comparison, the USA is, is, you know, the average person in the United States makes about 32000 So we make a little less per capita in the United States. Um, and 50% of the population in the U.S. is 38 years old. So we're on average about 10 years younger. So it's kind of an interesting point of comparison, things we think about when we're thinking about a market and how we reach people in that market and where the opportunities are. And, you know, with Japan, we launched that market in 2011. We did that just after the horrific series of earthquakes and tsunamis that, you know, wiped out the Fukushima nuclear reactor and, and the, the, the city of Sendai, which is near there. Um, 15,000, more than 15,000 people were, were killed in, in, uh, in those tsunamis and, and earthquakes, particularly in the Sendai area. It was, it was horrific. And we were literally launching, you know, within a month of all those things happening. So not the, not the optimal time to be, you know, trying to bring a spunky new energy drink into a market when the entire nation is mourning and, uh, and, and dealing with this, this crisis. Um, and, and, and part of our goal there was to help the Amway business bring in a new generation of younger consumer, of younger business owner, uh, which we were very, you know, fortunate to be able to do. We had some great partnerships there. Uh, and we were able to, to actually drop the average age of our business owners by, by more than 10 years in that period and help turn around a decade of declines in the business. The, there was a lot going on in the business at that time. We were kind of the tip of the spear, but it was a great partnership with Amway Japan, and we were able to actually help them start to the, get the business growing again. Very, very exciting. And I think over the years, we've done a combination of either help, help slow the declines of markets that are kind of dropping off and, and get turned around, but also help markets grow. Um, so... You know, we've had a lot of fun activities we've done in Japan. We've done three-on-three basketball tournaments. We've done, um, we've done uh, surf events, snowboarding events, activities and events. We've we've done all kinds of different things there. Race car driving. I mean, it's it's almost like there's uh, it's one of the most fun markets that we do activities in. Um, but the idea, the idea, and I, this brings me right back to this Chiaro-san exhibit, is that we like to create these physically objective events, activities with things where we connect people by string into a relationship that hopefully creates value in their life, where they say, wow, this makes my life better than it was before. Thank you. And then maybe they want to buy one of our products or join one of our communities or you know, somehow engage with us in a way that creates value for each of us. So anyway, so I was, I was um, working with the XS Japan team. We were thinking about what we're going to do next year, and particularly in terms of understanding lifestyle branding from a Southern California culture, and then how, we, how do we translate that in 2020 to attract more people to do more with our, with our business partners and to help them really reach a younger demographic of consumer, both in person and socially and via digital. And, and all of that was happening. I spent a couple days doing that in Tokyo, and then I went down to Osaka to, uh, to 
um, to go to these Landsat Awards where we recognize achievement from the previous year. Um, Typically, and just to put in perspective, this is one of my favorite recognition events that I do around the world every year. Um, our business partners there host this; they put it together. Um, it's and it's always exciting to see, you know, how people define success in their life. Um, you know, it's defined differently in different parts of the world. In Kazakhstan, they'll have different types of recognition uh, events. They'll dress differently. They'll celebrate differently. You'll hear different songs being played. And so it's always interesting to see how people define it in different places. But in Japan, in Osaka, at Landsat, it's just one of the, I don't know how to say it, it's just one of the tightest, most well-orchestrated series of events that I do every year. And so I'm always just fascinated to see what they're going to do at Landsat when I go. Um, and obviously, uh, I, I get invited to present because I'm a brand founder. Of one of the, it's the fastest growing brand at Amway, and, and be quickly becoming one of the one of the larger brands. I think we're the second largest brand there now. Um, and so, you know, I'm there to help connect. Uh, my goal, I guess, is 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 to connect our enterprise goals. You know, as Excess and Amway, you know, what what are those globally to the local market goals, and then specifically to support our business partner goals. What are their strategic objectives? How do we support them? And so how do we link that together? How do we get everybody moving in the same direction? How do I create, you know, create a conversation on a stage that, that brings these people in the audience into that conversation and connects us, ties strings around us all so that we're all harnessed and we're all hopefully moving in the same direction? Um, and so, you know, uh, and just to be clear, without our business partners, we don't have any revenue. They literally own every penny of the revenue that, that's generated in Amway. And so my, our goal is to really help support them. As Millen Pan, our new CEO, said, um, he said this on season two, I think it was episode 18, our job is to help support these business owners, connect their personal brands, the brands that they've created, uh, particularly via social media, to a community where they add authentic value and eventually connects back to our own brands and, and products. We're not trying to just, you know, schlep a product, but what we're trying to do is to create real authentic value that hopefully includes some of the things that we create. But the first and primary goal is to create that authentic community and real value. And so the team that developed these awards um, is one of our historically largest business partners in Japan. It's, it's a Takashi and Hidemi Azumi-san, uh, so their last name's Azumi. Uh, Asan means Mr. or Mrs. So Azumi, that family, exudes an Osaka style that's part gangster and part rock star. Um, that's Takashi. And then his wife Hidemi um, is more of a sporty kind of tennis and golf fashionista. They're an incredible couple. They're a ton of fun. Um, they're wildly enthusiastic about our business, and they have very strong opinions about the style and the culture that their brand represents. Uh, there's other, there's some other leaders that are with them that I'll just mention real quick too, because I think it's good just to kind of put this all in context. Um, Hiroshi Hosomi, Hosomi-san, uh, is a is another fr good friend of mine. He has a brand called Rookie that's all about kind of this active action sport lifestyle and racing vintage uh, European cars. Uh, he's a good friend of mine on social media. You see him pop up from time to time. Um, he has this whole concept of no play, no life, and he's he and I are always connecting these ideas of working and playing. Uh, we'll, we'll, you'll see jokes that I post where I'm doing something very fun in a market that is, you know, it's 
it's my work, uh, but it looks a lot like play. And we'll just hashtag work, 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 because <laughs> it's a ton of fun. Um, and then, um, you know, we'll go surf secret islands in Miyazaki or go snowboarding on deep powder and cone volcanoes in, in northern Hokkaido. Or maybe we'll race some vintage uh, German and Italian motor cars. I mean, spending time with Hosomi-san is not hard for me. It is, it is a joy. It is always a great time. There's another couple who were there. And this is maybe one of the more powerful experiences we had. Uh, Yasuhisa and Makiko Masuda-san. Uh, they have personal brands that they've each built uniquely. They built it separately. These are second marriages for them. Then they came together and created a brand of their own together. Um, Makiko-san has developed a brand on Instagram that's all around cooking and food that she and her partners curate into images and recipes. You can find them on Instagram if you're interested. It's Kantan Recipe Book. Kantan is K-A-N-T-A-N, Kantan Recipe Book. They have almost 30,000 fans and followers, and they get a lot that, you know, I think re- really feel like they get a lot of value from these simple and delicious uh, recipe options and the book that gets generated from it. So they have a fast-growing page and a lot of engagement on the posts that they generate that are very, very professional. Um, the Sudasans have also created a, 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 an excess experience center uh, for the beach. They have a team um, that runs that in the summer. That includes water sports um, and and other uh, sports activities, and it's in the Obama Beach area, which is not related to our former president, but it's it's near Kyoto, in uh, kind of central Japan, and uh, you know they have um, a marina of powerboats, stand-up paddle boards, kayaks, beach volleyball. They have a series of pools. They have t- tennis courts, basketball, soccer, and batting cages, and they've branded this whole thing the Excess Bungalow. Um, they've made a remarkable investment that we help support to create an opportunity for thousands of young people to come and visit this center during the summer and and really experience the excess brand of the fullest, where they come away saying that was amazing, it was a great experience, it was an amazing week. How do we do more of this together? Uh, again, mixing these concepts of work and play. And... Um, you know, this is a couple who are very, very strong athletes. Masuda-san has been getting older. He's, uh, you know, he's over 50. Makiko-san, Makiko-san, I believe, is in her late 30s, maybe early 40s. But, you know, they're, they're a young couple at heart, and they work very hard. They're very fit. They're very strong. And, um, you know, I always think of Masuda-san, uh, the husband, as kind of the excess samurai. And... Um, the last thing I'll say is that Masuda-san's uh, last thing, I, uh, well, kind of one of the last things I'll say I say about him is that Masuda-san's team brand for events is called Mass Media. Um, this group organizes and executes the Landside Awards each year. It's a series of these, you know, five dinners over three days that are kind of like entertainment awards, like really well done uh, entertainment awards. They're the tightest run and best executed recognition awards I go to. Um, you know, and of course, it's not a competition, but they're just really, really well executed, really tight, um, great. I mean, amazing entertainment. The audio and video presentations are insane. They have these, you know, lighted video display floors and walls in, in the event that just blow your mind. It's almost like a long runway that people walk down when they're when they're um, being recognized. That just kind of blow your mind. Um, and the level of fashion and the precision of the event are just, it's like you're at a fashion slow, you know, fashion show slash entertainment event. It's just, they're really incredible. Um, 
And the business partners who are typically recognized at the Landside Awards um, are people who've worked very, very hard to get to some high levels in our business. And so, you know, when they walk down this long runway and, you know, it's lit from the bottom and there's all these lights and, and applause and they get a bouquet of brilliant flowers and there's videos and music playing. I mean, it's just fantastic. It is an emotional experience for a lot of people who've worked very hard to be recognized and rewarded for their work. Um, so you can imagine the accomplishment of just getting onto that stage, what that means to people in the room. Well, here's kind of the big kind of strange or aha moment that, that happened. Um, earlier this year, Masuda-san had a serious stroke that nearly killed him. Um, last spring, I was able to visit him in the hospital not long after it had happened, and it was unclear if he would ever be able to talk again or maybe even walk again. He was barely kind of standing and, and getting to his feet. Um, and at this, so fast forward, so that was last May, June, fast forward now to you know beginning of September, I'm in Osaka, and Masuda-san not only was involved in organizing these events, uh, he kind of oversaw them. His team ran it, but he oversaw the execution. His input was, was present in these events. But he actually walked onto the stage five times, up and down stairs, with help, with a cane, and with some, some support staff. He was able to walk, and he was even able to, to quietly say some words that deeply moved everyone. I think uh, it's, it's safe to say there were almost no dry eyes in the house because a big part of what our business is about is, is helping people do more than they thought they could, helping people live better lives than they would have apart from us. And so being able to see the Masuda-sans come through this horrific tragedy and, and, and really make progress overcoming it was fantastic. It was incredible. And even more incredible were the number of people that they brought to the event with them. Um, their group is surging. It has momentum. Their breakout room where we had a meeting, a side ballroom with their team, you know, on its own, uh, was packed to capacity. They had people standing in the aisles, sitting on the floor. Uh, it was just, it, it was unbelievably moving to see how that that business, that family, really comes together in ways that uh, are very, very different than maybe uh, the relationships some people have with their with their work. And um, so it was, it was a very powerful and moving event. And I think I think it's because our business is primarily based on relationships. I've talked about this before, but you know, relationships to me are fundamentally based on experiences. And part of the reason that I think Shiota Chiaru's work resonated so deeply with me was because of the way that my own life feels a lot of times like a vast network of global connections, which can seem so distributed and maybe even a bit disconnected especially after we've sold excess and sometimes I'm like okay well, what am I still doing here am I supposed to be here what's my role like what what am I anymore um you know it's hard sometimes you know it's like I talked about when I was in Tokyo last last spring you know and I had been on a whirlwind tour I'd come from France to Tokyo now I went from Tokyo back to France on this trip but when I was in Tokyo last spring I really almost felt like I was I don't know like I was gonna fall off the earth um and I had to dive into that feeling of lostness and, and be comfortable with it and kind of understand it and thank it in order to kind of manage it and deal with it. Um, and so I guess it was this idea of, of the, all of these concrete things are connected. And even though there's an ethereal nature and there's a, a soulishness to it that you can't define that may feel like it's kind of a misty element that you 
can't really hold on to. Um, it's that ability for us individually to connect and then together to do more than we thought we could that really struck me on this trip, that really gave um, more tangibility to the essence of what it is we do than maybe I had felt before. I spoke about where our shared business is headed at these events at Landsat, the need to transform it again, to continue to make it compelling to a new generation of business partners and their customers, and how we're all working to make our new CEO, Millen Pants, vision real, to help our business partners become a digital, you know, really to help them each become digital influencers who add real value to authentic communities in ways that are completely separate from brands and products and selling things that are, you know, legitimately, authentically adding value on their own but then in the end you know maybe there's an opportunity to connect with somebody around a product or a brand that that will help them do more than they thought they could will really you know honestly help them live a better life we discussed how we'd already been doing that over the past eight years now now we're heading into our ninth year and into what i'd like to preemptively call our decade of awesome in japan and so part of that conversation was also about how the two families, the Van Andel family and DeVos family that that own Amway, are reinvesting tremendous amounts of resources and new capital into the business to support this transformation. New money, a series of new bonuses and recognition around creating more customers faster and more income faster for new people who join. We then, you know, the idea is that we want our high potential young leaders to identify themselves. We actually let, at Landsat, we let those young leaders stand up and say, yep, I want to hit this new level. It's called bronze. But, and there's a couple different stages of it. But we said, they said, yep, I want to do this. And then we let them walk up en masse. So we had like thousands of people doing this and cross the stage. So we have five dinners over three days, about a thousand people at each dinner. And at each of these dinners, we had hundreds of young people identify what what level they were going to hit and then be able to walk up and cross the stage and just kind of get the feeling for what it was going to be like to be recognized as new bronzes in 2020. It was really exciting. It was moving. And it wasn't just moving for me and it wasn't just moving for them. I think the surprising thing, it was it was moving for a lot of the upline who were in the room. You know, I was talking to some of the leaders. Some of them are older in their 60s who've been in the business a long time. They've been very, very successful with this. And they're basically in semi-retirement. And a handful of them said to me at this thing, they were very moved seeing all of these new young downline leaders coming up and crossing stage and saying, yeah, I want a piece of this new pie. I want a piece of this action. And a number of them say to me, David, you know, I wasn't planning to do a lot this year. I wasn't planning to invest myself that much. I was kind of going to stick with my semi-retirement plan. But after seeing that, after hearing about the way we need to transform ourselves, I'm in. I'm all in. I'm in, I'm going to I'm going to double down as well. And I think that's when you feel like, man, we're really going someplace. We're connecting these strings. We're going together, we're moving together, and we can probably do a lot more together than we'll ever do on our own. And that shared business is adding more value to our lives than the lives we would have if if we weren't working together. And um you know, I guess the thing that kind of wrapped it up for me was Azumi-san, and he said this on stage. He said, you know, he learned a new English word, this, this, this Landsat, one that I had used called transformation. He agreed that it's time to transform ourselves, our relationships with customers and our business together. I'm recording this podcast in Paris. You know, I left Japan last spring. I'd gone to Japan from Paris and felt lost. This time I'm in Paris 
having come from Indonesia and Japan, and I feel more grounded, excited, and connected than I have in a long time. I'd say more than that, I'm, I'm hopeful that we will transform our work and our relationships into newly authentic relationships in person and digitally, both. You know, I think you have to do it in person. You have to touch people, and you can share that. You can amplify that touch digitally, socially, um, but you have to be able to touch people directly. Uh, but I think we're able to, to really leverage that into ways that will help us and people we meet break through barriers of the past into a future we haven't fully yet imagined. This is the Kick Aspirational Podcast. It's not a spectator sport. I hope you find value in these, and I hope you don't agree with everything I say. Heck, I don't always agree with myself. My goal is that something I share in an interview offers a helpful tidbit in your own journey, maybe a string that somehow links us together. It doesn't mean you have to go where I'm going, but maybe there's something, hopefully, that, that I'm offering that makes you think or makes you wonder. Hey, reach out, ask a question, or ask for help if you need it. But hopefully that pushes you to do more than you thought you could. I'd love to hear what Kick Aspirational means to you. I'd love to hear your questions, your comments, your concerns, your criticisms. Any ideas you have for what you'd like me to do next with this podcast. I'm always looking for people to interview and ideas to talk about. So whatever you do this week, please get out there and be Kick Aspirational.